listening to the Arise Church podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Verse 24 reads this way, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God help us in our understanding of scripture to be able to supernaturally, even with our natural eyes and ears, perceive the message that you have for us this morning and give us clarity for what you're calling us individually and corporately to. In Christ's name, amen. I have a question for everybody. I want you to ponder it. What do you want to become? What do you want to become? Now for me, and maybe even Jamie, in our household, this is kind of a question that we're asking all the time. We got a junior in high school. We have uh, uh, a college student even. Uh, We have a sophomore in high school and we got several other grades beneath that. And there's this idea that's constantly swirling in conversation about what you wanna become because I think you would all agree with me that the expectation is that as you grow and as you mature and as you develop, that should lead to some adulting, (laughs) right? That should lead to some adulting, taking responsibility, taking ownership and living out your purpose. You don't get to just stay a baby. Well, here's a challenging thought. Challenging thought for us is the right trajectory of growing up, even naturally, and adulting, a a move towards flying solo. Is that the right trajectory? Is that the right direction for what it means to grow up? You just kind of grow up and you start to fly solo. I, I totally understand independence. But is the goal to graduate find success and become self-centered, self-absorbed, self-interested, self-concerned, self-indulgent, and self-serving. Y'all know when I'm asking these questions, I'm looking for some answers. Is that the right trajectory of the life that we live? Any individual? No, no. Well, what about when it comes to the church? What about when it comes to being a part of the church? What do you want to become? And what do you expect to grow and develop into? How are you going to get there? What does adulting look like spiritually? Ben just gave us a great example, to be honest, listening to his story and coupling that with what Maribel started us with. I'm cutting a lot out of this message because the word's already gone forward by (laughs) testimony. I think it's a lot of the same things, though. It's taking responsibility 
It's taking ownership. It's living out the purpose for which you have been called. And in the same way, it was never meant for you to grow up and fly solo and for it to be done alone. I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down. There's a sense in which taking responsibility is taking responsibility and ownership for one another. Only the mature think this way. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us. This is the third personal pronoun where the writer includes himself and let us and let us and let us. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. During our last message. We said that in this text, the writer of Hebrews was helping us to put our faith into practice. After summarizing why we are the church, the author goes on and basically explains to us how to be the church. After telling us that we are the church, he goes on and tells us how to be the church. Here's the theology. Now, here's how to live it out. Some of us remember that from a month ago. And with those, let us first, he says, let us draw near with a heart full of faith. Then let us hold fast our confession. In a few words, what he's saying is let us believe together. And for the final exhortation, he says, let us consider how to stir one another up. And in a few words, let us belong and become together. That's what we're being called into. Today, we're going to take each one of the commands that were and the invitations. We'll take them slowly. All right. And if you're taking notes, I promise you that you'll be able to put this into practice today before you leave the parking lot. All right. This is all relatively practical for us today. If you want to grow, take some notes and you will be able to take action immediately in this message. But let me start with some sobering news. And I know that Sometimes it's hard to hear these things, especially just in the, uh, you know, by way of surprise. But I'm keeping the context in order for us. Everything that's written in these verses has some sobering context. We need to recognize that something about this text and the book of Hebrews. There's an important warning. That this is to be viewed in light of the fact that apostasy is possible. What is apostasy? Is falling away or abandoning the faith. That's the whole context of the book of Hebrews, friends. And it's mentioned in this book here more than most of the other New Testament letters. You don't have to turn with me, but let me just give you what I read this week. Chapter two warns that we can drift away from what we've heard and we can neglect salvation. Chapter three warns that there can grow in you this evil, unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away and that you can become so hardened by the deceitfulness of sin that you stop believing. Chapter four warns that we can lean toward disobedience and we can fail to reach the salvation that we profess. Chapter number six says outright, <laughs> you can taste the goodness of Lord, the Lord. And you can experience the kingdom. You can experience miracles in this life and still abandon the faith and fall away. 
And here in the verses that follow our text, the writer actually summarizes what it would be like to respond to let us with, nah, I'm good. Or that's for y'all, not for me. Verse 26 says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. A sobering truth in the context of a great call to action that you can put into practice today. Let's look at it a little bit closer, but keep that in view. The text we're about to unpack is meant to help us to understand why abandoning the gathering is serious. And that's why I said, actually, let me set that context because it might just sound like a whole bunch of to do's. It was meant to help us to understand that if you step out of the church, you stepped into treacherous uh, ground. Dangerous territory. A step away from fellowship is a step towards a step away from the faith. Is what this text is teaching us. I read one commentator this week that wrote that people who deliberately and persistently abandon the fellowship of Christian believers are in danger of repeating the sin of Old Testament Israel, abandoning the Lord altogether. Now for the good news. God knows what you need, friend. God knows that we might be susceptible to these things. God knows those temptations and he provides everything we need. And he has provided a lot of it, a great deal of it in one another. He provides what we need in our fellowship. We should be warned, but we don't have to worry. This is not meant to have you call. I don't know. Well, what's going to happen? I don't. Where am I at? That's not what he's saying. We should be uh, warned, but we don't have to worry. Just like the markings along the highway. If you just stay in your lane, (laughs) there's something that you can take caution of. Right. But you don't have to be afraid to drive. So for the sake of time, let's just assume that you've been listening for the last several months where we've been talking about what it means to belong to one another. I've been saying you belong to me. I belong to you. You belong to her. You don't get to just be isolated. You can't do your own thing. We care for each other. We've been saying a lot of that today. I want to harp on the fact that you belong here. You belong in right in Alan Judy's home. You belong in River Park. You belong here in the gathering. And a lot of times That's hard work. It can be real hard, right? To imitate Jesus alongside other people in the messiness of life and in the confusion of it all. But hard things require hard work. Sometimes we won't do the hard work until we get some hard truth. So let's just look at it. Verse number 24. The first thing that we see is that we should consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. That word for stir up, Jeff read it in a translation that said spur on this morning. Stir up is a hard word. It's not a bad word, but it is a strong word in the original language. What's being said is you can provoke or prod or press or push or poke someone. (laughs) Provoke, prod, press, push, 
poke, stir up, incite. Let us consider how to do that to one another. It carries the idea that you're nudging someone toward something. A negative sense of the word would be to agitate or even to irritate. It's actually used negatively in our Bibles in Acts chapter 15, where Paul and Barnabas got into what is called a strong disagreement. If you go look at that in your Bibles, Acts 15, verse number 39, it says they got into a strong disagreement. It's the same one word that here says spur. That's why I said it's a strong word. It's bigger than just like, oh, kind of. No, this is an intentional thing that we ought to do towards each other. And so I got two things for us. How can we lovingly nudge, push, poke <laughs> one another towards love and good deeds? The first one is be considerate. You see it right there in your Bibles. Consider. Let us consider. This means give thought to it. Give attention to it. Take inventory to how you might do that. Uh, a literal translation could be to take note of something from every direction until you've discerned the right way to go. Till you've reached a conclusion. Take note of something from every direction until you've come to a conclusion. To do that, you got to detect things. <laughs> you have to discern things. You got to think about it. You got to think about people. Just like you do when you check the weather. I'm looking out here, there's a few t-shirts, but a whole lot of sweatshirts. And after yesterday's weather, you guys might even be concerned about the wind, right? You definitely saw that it was only gonna get up to 59, which man, somehow that's, I'm hot. <laughs> but 59, 60 degrees, right? And so you detected the weather, you discerned it, and what did you do? You came to a conclusion on what you ought to wear today. God wants us to check the forecast among our body and to show up appropriately. God wants you and I to consider some of the things that Maribel has already talked about among the body of Christ at Arise and to consider how you might show up to be able to stir and spur the people among our body along towards love and good deeds. He's basically just saying, pay attention to the needs Pay attention to the prayer requests. Pay attention to the trials. Pay attention even to the temptations and the sins that are among our body and consider how you might poke a little bit and prod that person and push them towards love and good deeds. Does that make sense? I hope it doesn't sound like I'm calling you guys to be nosy, but I'm telling you, you're not, you don't get off the hook. <laughs> you're not able to just say like, oh, well, it's not none of my business. Actually, it is. Consider means give some thought to it even ahead of time, friends. Give thought to how you might help others put their faith into practice. Love God, love one another, good deeds, practicing things. Give thought to how you might encourage others. That's actually right there in the text. It says encouraging one another. The original word for encourage is a compound word that basically kind of can carry even this idea of admonishment or exhortation. It's not just like comforting and giving somebody a good kind word and all the niceties that we know. It also can be like 
it's meant to really be a call to action to put courage into a person towards simple obedience. To call to action. Only a few of us might remember 2019 in our one another series. One of the one of the messages was exhort one another. And it was using this same word. And we came up with a little bit of a definition. We said to exhort means to be actively and personally involved in another person's life by speaking the truth to them in a way that relates to their status or their circumstance. To be actively and personally involved in my life to the point that you could call me to action is what God expects of us. Not to just show up and like kind of like get what we can and be out and have no concern or regard for each other. It means to urge me to action, to urge her to action, to push the person towards the right belief or the right conduct based on their situation. So somebody shares with you what's going on in their life, being ready to encourage them towards love and good deeds and being considerate of that means that you're thinking about that and you just say, well, what does God think about this? Man, that is, I, that is messed up, but that's not the end. That's not all. The only thing we say to each other is not, man, that's messed up and we out. We can actually encourage people, right? You can trust God, sis. You know what? No, you should not repay that person back. I know how you feel, but retaliation. In fact, in Hebrews 10, he goes on and says, vengeance is, the, is mine, says the Lord, quoting the Old Testament, right? If you reading the word, you kind of know something that you can say in reply to a person. I didn't think it was insignificant to read Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 and 14, which is what that ex exhortation message was from, because it really nails down why it's so important. Hebrews three, verses 12 to 14. If you got your Bibles, you'll see this. Take care, brothers and sisters. Least there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This intentional service to each other, whether it's done in the context of exhorting or encouraging, comforting, strengthening, pushing, prodding, nudging is designed specifically to prevent yours and my destruction. I need you doing this to me regularly, day by day, as long as it's called today. We need one another in that regard. That's a big deal. The question I have is when you read that, take care to exhort each other every day or to consider how you might stir one another up to love and good deeds. Whose job is that? I'm really asking. Whose job is that? Ours. All of ours. All of ours. This is assuming that you would be considerate. It assumes you're regularly having personal contact with other believers in the church and that they know what's going on in your life and you know what's going on in their life to the degree that you can actually encourage them and be encouraged by them. 
which really leads to our next point. Not only must you be considerate, you gotta be consistent. Again, right out of our text, and I'll try and keep it simple. What did he say in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25? Not neglecting to meet together. Jeff's translation kept it real with y'all this morning. Don't give up. Don't give up on meeting together. Don't give up on the gathering. Don't give up on the assembly is what it says. This applies to our larger corporate worshiping and also our small groups and our gospel communities, our house to house stuff, like everything that we're doing. Every time the church is gathering and getting together, you should desire deeply to be there and not neglect it. Don't give up on it, friends. Don't give up on it. Neglect means forsake or to leave behind. You know what it means. <laughs> Literally means to desert something. If, if it's your habit to just go ghost and to give up on it and just peace out. This is a challenge for us. The writer actually says that some of us have a habit of doing that. He says, don't neglect the gathering together or the meeting together as is the habit of some. Don't make it your tradition. Don't make it your habit. Here's the thing about habits. Habits shape you. What you do habitually forms you, not just physically, but also spiritually. We don't have questions about whether or not eating donuts or working out five times a week will shape you. <laughs> but uh, pulling yourself out of the gathering consistently, which means that you're not exhorting regularly and you're not being exhorted regularly. Yeah, that we don't have question about. And it also uh, shapes you, though. I wrote down here that you become what you do most and you're going to be hard pressed to become faithful to him if you're fickle to her. You're going to be hard pressed to become more and more faithful to God if you are not faithful in gathering with the church regularly, no matter how it looks, no matter if it fits the way you like it, no matter if it goes the way you deeply desire or not. That's a big deal. Be considerate, but also be consistent. We're told to even keep this in an eternal perspective as I land the plane. What do we see in verse number 25? We do this all the more as the day we see drawing near. You guys know what day he's talking about. The Lord, the, the day of the Lord, not the Lord's day. This is the Lord's day. The day of the Lord, that day is a different day. <laughs> the day when he returns and everything is done. Show up whenever the church is gathered. It doesn't matter where we are. The return of Christ should put some pep in our step towards that. Do you see the day approaching, friends? Do you? Really, I'm asking. Do you see the day coming? Do you feel like the day is quickly approaching? Then you should gather and consider others and even how to be consistent in the gathering more and more and more. If you can say that, that's what it's saying. As you see the day drawing near, be more considerate, be more consistent. Stir one another up, push one another, poke one another. Don't just leave people to their own devices and their own struggles. Make my business your business. Not because you want to be a busybody or because you want to find out information you could go and gossip. No, because you care about my discipleship to Christ. And you know that, you know what? If Steve's making a habit of pushing outside of fellowship, he might be pushing outside the faith. And so, hey, bro, where you been at? 
Or if Steve is consistently complaining, he's forgetting that he should trust the Lord. Point me, right? To trust in God. I'll say this. Last year, Barry was exhorting some of us, calling us to urgency. You might remember that. I think that this idea of the day that's there is meant to actually provoke us towards the urgency. We're supposed to look and see, you know what? Christ is coming and he's coming soon. And that rekindles in us an urgency to say, you know what? I'm going to be about this. That's why the day of the Lord is there in our text. That's what it should do for us. But you have to actually keep it in view. And most of us need to be, uh, be reminded that if you're only thinking about the day when everything gets back to normal, <laughs> if you're only thinking about the good old days or you're only thinking about the day when you can take your next vacation, then that's what's motivating you. And this won't be a priority. This is about reshaping your priorities with that day in view. It's about reshaping your life. Last week, even several of our leaders admitted a need to grow in the area of reshaping our priorities and reshaping our schedules so that we can be about this. So here's a big idea. If you're writing down some notes. Since we belong together, let us not neglect meeting together. That's very clear, but rather prioritize gathering and look for ways to push one another to becoming more like Jesus. We belong together. We belong here consistently. And we should be looking for ways to push each, push each other to become more like Jesus. Here's some of those practical steps. If it hasn't been practical enough for you uh, today, before you leave, initiate some gospel conversations. Guys, deeper than just, hey, how was work? Can I actually say, how's your walk? Not just how was your work this week? How's your walk with Jesus? Initiate some gospel conversations to get you beneath the surface. How about planning ahead? Plan ahead beforehand with uh, how you might provoke someone to love or good deeds. You could say, hey, you know, a few of us are reading this this week. What do you think about it? A few of us are going to be going and doing this. Hey, would you consider joining us? Some of us are serving in this way. We think we thought about you. You'd be great at that. Or how about this one? Hey, I know you don't like what's going on at the church. What kind of solutions do you think you could bring? This is our job. Y'all just confess that. It's our responsibility, right? I think even before taking action like this, though, it's worth noting that this is going to require different attitudes before the actions come out. I was reading Ephesians chapter four this week and I thought of just those attitudes. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity in the bond of peace. Those are the attitudes that should mark us before we could ever get to the point of trying to do anything different. If my life is in balance with Jesus, I'll be walking as a humble person. If my life is in balance with Jesus, I'll be walking and thinking and acting uh, with a gentle attitude. I have patience, be bearing with one another. And wherever I'm lacking, further transformation is available to me and oftentimes through others. Right. God will change me and give me what I need through others. Every one of those attitudes is about relationships. You can't talk about humility or gentleness without talking about other people. 
You can't measure patience or forbearance unless you have to be patient with or forbear with another person. I wish I had time to actually point you to the one who is patient and gentle. So, so humble and so, so forbearing. When I think about these, I do think about other people, but not before I think about the person of Jesus Christ, that he's so humble. And in his humility, there's a meekness that he actually left his throne and became a man on the earth. And he was made in the form of a servant. But he lived as a poor individual. It wasn't about his own business, but he was about his father's business. Humbly, humbly. It's the Lord Jesus when I, that I think of when I think about gentleness. Even when I think about the fact that he stood before Pilate and he, his accuser stood before him. And Isaiah tells me, and I saw in the book of John that as Pilate told him that he ought to speak for himself or else he opened out his mouth. Isaiah said he went before slaughter like a lamb, like a sheep before his shearers. He opened out his mouth. Gentle. I wish I could tell you that he's gentle and lowly today, friends. <laughs> Some of us know. I could just walk through these with us. Patient, bearing with one another. You can't get over that thing that I or they have done. But the truth of the matter is, man, Jesus has been giving you so much forbearance from what you did last week. The idea of becoming is not that you get to a point where you are a better arise church member. It's that you're becoming more like Jesus Christ. That Christ is the one who is all these things and we help one another in our journey in doing so.